0: Carnivorous Couch, it happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous Couch With Brady and Rob
1: Hey everybody, hey everybody, hey everybody And welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch The thing where we do... A a movie a week with two film geeks. It's been nine months plus, uh, like forty weeks, I think. About so uh, we've had a baby, and that's why the studio is not—it's lacking in a couch, which fucks up the title. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We got me, Rob, and we got Brady.
2: Hello, I'm not the baby.
1: No, no, you're not the baby. The baby is uh, was you know nine, ten months ago, forty weeks ago was in infancy uh we didn't even know if it was gonna come to term but apparently donald trump is our president
3: yeah the last time
2: we did this donald trump was not pressed
1: no <laughs> and it was like a year off before we'd have a president and like we were just going like hey maybe bernie will get the primary or some shit like that right
2: yeah we didn't even have a primary
1: yeah that wasn't that wasn't family. done yet So now the world is shit. So we thought we'd get back into fucking uh, making art for you. Um, Some shit talk for Mr. Trump. I saw his signature on one of the bills today. It looked like George H.W. Bush's heart monitor. It's just like, like a Charlie Brown t-shirt or some bullshit. Like I was just looking at him going like, man, does he have some sort of voodoo pen? And that's why H.W. Bush like is in the hospital. He's like signing it like this. And just got little bits of of uh, George H.W. Bush on the paper. And that's why he had a heart attack and went to the fucking hospital and all this shit. Just like, stop signing shit. Like, fucking grass, oh my <laughs> fucking crest. Fucking with me.
2: Is that why so many mainstream Republicans are playing ball with him?
1: I don't think they are. I think I think what's happening, I mean, if you look at it, like the entire fucking Department of uh, State is basically wiped out. There's nobody in it right now. Um, and they were saying that's just because he didn't appoint anybody or they didn't, well, he appointed people, but nobody got appointed. Nobody got approved because, because they're not playing ball. Um, but, you know, some little insider reports have said, no, no, he kind of summar- summarily fired them all, and now it's just banning. Kellyanne Conway Twitty and um, fucking I don't know it's this is a fucking mess Uh,
2: well we picked a fine movie for uh, a world that is a mess exactly
1: we picked the French Connection the 1970 one. One film Uh, let me see It, it depicts a desolate New York where shit is very I don't know why my mic just popped there but hopefully it doesn't keep doing that um uh, 1971 movie that depicts a desolate New York, uh, which is, you know, falling apart. And, uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to get too deep into it before we actually start the movie. But I did want to say that the, the environment kind of consumes the main character and turns him to the darkness as he gets enveloped by it. And that's what we're trying not to let happen with, uh, trump Perica. right right mistress trump Perica to decide a, uh another movie we did mistress america which uh i don't know if you wanted america to be your mistress but it's better than mistress trump Perica.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay um, so how about we brief uh well, this thing let's say it won
1: the best picture award it did they
2: did. Oh shit. William Friedkin got a best picture. It won picture. And the then director. after that he
1: made fucking Cruising. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Or no, after that did he make uh, The Exorcist?
1: Yeah, no. He definitely did. And he made he got the uh, the Exorcist role because um, they saw this one, and they were arguing about it. He brought it in the studio because he knew the writer. and writer's like, I wrote something. I want you to do it. And the studio's like, well, we don't really like you, blah, blah, blah. And then they saw this movie, and then they were like, oh, shit, we got to get you into a movie. Okay, we do want you to do it. The whole reason he got to do The Exorcist was this movie, which was not anticipated to be. Something by the studios, it wasn't anticipated to be big.
2: Oh, yeah, I, I can imagine it
0: wasn't.
1: No, it was fairly low-budget, run-and-gun shooting. They <laughs> didn't really pull permits or anything. They just fucking did it. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's based on a novel, right?
2: Oh, uh, you actually have me there. I I don't know. It's it's a true story. Uh, it, I worked for half of, sort of worked for half of the team that's depicted in this Uh, One of them, by the name of, uh, I think it was (laughs) Grasso, Sonny Grasso, which I think is the Roy Scheider character in this, Uh, anyway, went off and formed a production company in L.A. called Grasso Jacobson, and I spent uh, my senior year of college interning for uh, basically a company that was under their wing,
1: so... Funny enough, Brady, you sound good, but I I don't see it coming through on the levels. Oh, I, I well maybe I can be louder. I'll fix it in post. Fix it in post. Or we can just do this, make a slight noise, and then that might point more towards your mouth.
2: Well, now it's kind of by my nose. No, that's perfect.
1: That's, okay, it's like right at your mustache. Okay, okay. Your mustache, mustache, right at Brady's mustache. So,
2: so oh, and let's just run down. First, let's run down what else was nominated for it, with it that year. That's not like a good idea. Historical context. Uh, you had Nicholas and Alexandra, which was a, a Russian war biopic about the fall of the Russian royal family during the Bolshevik Revolution. Uh, that, that's okay. You had uh, Fiddler on the Roof, the musical, uh, which also I think is just kind of okay. Uh, But then you had some really great pictures with it. You had The Last Picture Show by Mr. Peter Bogdanovich, uh, who is a fine filmmaker and also made Paper Moon.
1: Yeah, for some reason I have a note about Bogdanovich and Sniper in here. I don't know why, how it relates, 80s, 2000s similarities. This might be a different movie. Huh. Oh, yeah, this is The Warrior's Way. (laughs) 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 <laughs> but then the,
2: the other one, uh, the other final picture nominated with it was Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange, which uh, is even darker than The French Connection. So I guess they felt justified, like,
1: you know what? This is uh, pretty pretty much a feel-good. And it's mm-hmm. funny. You said Clockwork Orange, and I saw Clock Tower Homage Peter Bogdanovich, 1972 Sniper. Wow. But that's from Warriors Words. Words. <laughs> This is what was written in my book I'm just flipping through this Uh, But but also that came out that year
2: Uh, Some very fine films that you should check out Came out that year Uh, The Conformist by Bertolucci Uh, The Garden of the Finzi Continis The Conformist? How close is The Conformist to um, Cool
1: Hand Luke? Um, That's 72? Oh, in terms of when it came out?
2: Yeah Wasn't Cool Hand Luke like 68 I want to say Okay,
1: but it's about conformity as well
2: uh, Yeah, but uh, uh, very different. If, if anything, uh, this guy in The Conformist, uh, who's played by the lead from Amour, Jean-Louis Trintignant, uh, is, is like the anti-Cool Hand Luke. Like, he's a, a proud conformist.
0: I saw it ahead of time. Did you, Wait, what did you see?
1: My book just has a whole page that says, we are truly lost. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Brady. I'm talking (laughs) over your whole cohesive. Uh, list. just trying to find my notes. You
2: had Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh, featuring the recently deceased uh, Leonard Cohen's music. Uh, Claire's Knee. You had Walkabout by Nicholas Roeg. Tulane Blacktop, the only movie I've seen with James Taylor and a beach boy in the lead roles. And finally, a very rare art film,
1: Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Keep talking, I'm still looking for my shit.
2: That's it. Those are those are the movies I have Yeah, but you just to have ha- to keep talking. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well I am looking forward to synopsizing this movie. Uh, full confession, full disclosure, Rob and I have kind of had to watch this or uh, rewatch it piecemeal uh to bring this podcast to you.
1: Well and that was several weeks ago and, uh, yeah, that was and my equipment was not up to snuff and Man, this is just all comedy. Maybe Oh, it's in a different book. Ooh, it's in, but it's in that backpack right over there, so that's okay. It's gonna be yeah. okay. No, no, it's good. This is, We're super this good. is just all comedy. And <laughs> <laughs> with we are truly lost. Okay, um, let me get the right book.
2: Got dead air. This is bad dead oh, air. <laughs> well, I don't know. Should I start synopsizing?
1: Yes, let's start with the plot synopsis.
2: Okay, uh, we start off in the country of France, in the beautiful city of Marseille, which is a seaside port in the, uh, like southern France. I don't, know. I don't know geographically, uh, but you know it's a very pretty town where with lots of sailors. And there's this man uh, walking down the street, and he walks into an alley, and he turns around, and he's shot by another man. Uh then we cut to New York, and as we were saying, this is this is kind of the classic grimy New York. Uh, you know, the hi- the history of New York is that eventually, I think, under Giuliani, it became very cleaned up, and now it's kind of a more happy-go-lucky touristy town. Uh, but you know, this is the New York of uh, of the most more recent. Uh, my was it a most violent year? It's that kind of grimy, crime-infested New York at its apocalyptically
1: bleakest. Yeah, even like the opening scene where Gene Hackman's in the uh,
2: hay. Gene Hackman in the hay. A roll in the hay with Gene Hackman. Uh, So, yeah, then we cut to New York and we see a man kind of a Salvation Army type of guy in a Santa suit ringing a bell. He's taking donations, but it turns out he's really Gene Hackman as an undercover cop. That cop's name is Popeye Doyle. Uh, And He is uh, on a stakeout with his partner, uh, the sheriff from Jaws, Ray Scheider. And they end up chasing down.
1: I have to cut you off. That's not where we open. We open in France where there's this guy walking with a baguette, staking out some guys. We just talked about that. That's Marché. I wasn't paying attention. Oh, shit. I was trying to find my fucking book. Sorry.
2: No, yeah. He gets shot in the lovely seaside. Yeah,
1: that's a fucking awesome shot by the way because they do the thing where they sh- they shoot and they just have him fall over, but they just put in a little a snippet where there's like a blood bag exploding in the guy's face. It's right. very nicely done.
2: No, yeah, it's it is. Uh, so they end up chasing down this African American man as yeah. a, a foot and chase. And to highlight
1: how the the New York is such a desolate, crime ridden place, there's like a there's like a fire burning unattended, just like something on fire where they're interrogating this guy. Yeah,
2: just in the middle of an alley. Just, do you remember what it is? What's on fire?
1: Probably like a tire or like a, refrigerator. a mink coat. I don't know. <laughs> uh,
2: so, so they chase this guy down. They catch him. And uh, he tries to pull out a knife and stab him. They get the knife out of his hand, and they start interrogating him fast style. And the note I made here is they're kind of bad cop, bad cop. There's Scheider
1: is the calmer figure, but well, Scheider got stabbed, and he goes like, "Don't hit him! I want him! I want to bust him! I want to interrogate him!" It's like, "Oh, you got a friend here! You got a friend!" <laughs> right? Right. But it is kind of bad cop, bad. Cop. Yeah, there's... could uh, be a point shitter, but yeah,
2: it's a bad cop, worse cop, uh, and so. They start interrogating him, and they start asking him this question: "Do you pick your feet in Poughkeepsie? You you pick your feet in Poughkeepsie? Yeah. It's they kind also of a ask, good ask him twister.
1: like, like what side of the street the Bart Joe the bartender's on.
2: Oh right. Wait, say say it how they say it.
1: Well, it's just like what uh, on 114th Street, Joe the
0: barber. What side of the street does he live on? The north side or the south side? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, Robin, and I had to look this up. Pick Your Feet in Poughkeepsie is basically an example of a police tactic where you'd ask the suspect uh, nonsense questions in the middle of the normal substantive questions that you want answered to throw them off and to get them to, you know, they don't know how to answer this one that's complete nonsense, so they'll be relieved and actually answer you when they get the one they know.
1: Essentially, the tactic is, um, you know, it's so uncomfortable, the weird, bizarre question that they're asking you that it... They they just rather answer the question that that they can answer instead of trying to resist. Right. Yeah.
2: Okay. So so from that's the origin of picking your feet. Because... We go back to France, and uh, I believe the oh gosh, what's the what's our main baddie's name?
1: No, oh, we don't know. The beard. French guy. The French connection.
2: He okay. has one, but uh, he's played by uh, the fantastic Spanish actor Fernando Rey, who made his career doing a lot of films with uh, Louis Buñuel the uh, satirist. See, you know all that shit.
1: So I mean. Yeah, no what well, characters I, names, actors names, what they were in. I don't I don't know the character's name. Stuff about film, stuff about mise-en-scène and moods. Uh you know all that. I'm just here.
2: Like if he wasn't Fernando Rey, I'd have to know his name, but he's he's Fernando Rey.
1: I just run the equipment and uh you know lose my books
2: from uh, Viridiana and the uh, All right, the let's screen. not make this a 20-minute blast synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and then Oh, and then uh, Hackman also says something in that scene prior. He says, uh, drops a racial epithet. He says, "Never trust an N-word." And Roy Scheider is like, "Well, it could have been white." And he revises his statement and says, "Never trust anybody." Exactly, Gene Hackman.
0: Okay, Gene Hackman. Never so Fernando trust
2: Ray is back in France, preparing to go over to uh, New York for what we will learn is a, a massive drug deal. You know, a huge. Huge uh, deal of cocaine, I believe. And uh, this scene, you know, I didn't even make much of it when I saw it, but looking down at it in written form, I think it's kind of nice because what we get in that scene is she gives him a coat as a going-away gift for his big trip to America. And like, well, it's really cold over there. Here's a winter coat. And that's cool and important because a lot is going to be made about, you know, we already talked about how grimy New York seems. It's also miserably cold, and the movie will do a good job of kind of making that feel visceral, too. Okay, I, from there, we go to a scene in a nightclub, and oh, I, th- I
1: think we go back to the... Bar- oh, no, nightclub first. You're right.
2: Yeah, uh... And so... There is a kind of a, a Supremes-esque act, like a trio of uh, soul singers up on stage, and the song they're singing is Everybody's Going to the Moon. And in this club, uh, Scheider and Hackman are kind of hanging out after hours, but... Uh, funny enough there also seems to be someone of interest in this drug case uh who they see this guy sal boca and i think hackman looks over at this table where this guy all these italians are kind of talking and drinking and what does he say he says like no one at that table is is right
1: yeah it's just, just not right about that table like they're too fancy for this club or something like that right except for that one dude who's not that fancy but He's looking fancy, He's trying to impress these guys. Right, and that was Sal Boca.
2: And so, because, because Hackman makes note of this on a hunch, uh, on a hunch, he decides that from the club he should just go on a stakeout of this guy and follow him to wherever he goes. And so, from there, we get this kind of early morning hours uh, stakeout in a car scene, like a, a car, not a car chase, but a car sneaky follow.
1: Yeah, they're just following him. They Our see trail. he works at a place. He delivers some newspapers, something like. They're like, maybe that's how he's doing it. Blah blah blah.
2: Yeah, and they also notice that you know this place doesn't. I think someone knows like this place doesn't make much money, and yet this guy has two cars. This Is something they make note of.
1: Yeah, so he's a hitman and a robber, and he's married to a nineteen-year-old, right? Uh or yeah. Boca, the hitman, the robber, and he's
2: yeah married to Angie. She's yeah. nineteen.
1: She's sassy. Sure. Is. She says she doesn't care about her husband. She'll she'll go meet that guy for a little while. For some money.
2: And then I think they want to follow him even more after that, but he ends up going toward the Ward's Island dump, and uh, apparently, due to something with that, they can't follow him there because they'll be spotted. There's not enough cover uh, for the car if they go there. The
1: unions don't trust the cops either. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. So they're like, (laughs) okay,
2: turn back... (laughs) Okay, from there we go to. uh, Back to the
1: bar, the bar at the beginning. We go to a different bar this time. A different bar? Yeah, I think it's a milkshake scene.
2: Yeah, the milkshake scene, which is uh, one of the things this movie is famous for is kind of portraying like a cop who's our protagonist and yet seems truly amoral. You know, Hackman here is kind of your prototype for all the kind of rough you up, uh, shady dealings cops in. Going to keep coming back
1: until you clean
2: this place up. Yeah, so so he walks into this uh, notably all-black bar and kind of just sticks his hand under the railing, feeling around for drugs, and he takes all the drugs he finds, and he starts pushing people against the wall. He sticks all the drugs into a cocktail shaker, and what does he pour on it? Probably, like, gin or a beer, and he just shakes them up to ruin them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone want a milkshake? (laughs) exactly and so yeah he's he starts behaving like
1: but he didn't really find anything and that's the whole crux of it she's like it's dry as a bone out here i can't find who to bust i can't figure out who to follow
2: oh but that's the thing it turns out we find out shortly after he's not actually there in the hopes of finding anything this is where he goes to meet his uh his contact right
1: that's how he finds out but he has to go
2: in under the pretense of of shaking the bar down and then finally his partner and him stage a fake fight so that he can push him into a back room and talk CIA. to him. It's not his, well his partner, uh, yeah. okay. Well, yeah, it's, a you know, yeah, exactly. His bubbles. He's very
1: mean to his bubbles. He's very mean to his he's,
2: bubbles. He's very mean to his bubbles because after their exchange where he gets information from him, it's like, well, oh, I have to punch you. Like, it won't look realistic unless you're bleeding out of your face. So where do you want it? Where do you want
1: it? Right there.
2: <laughs> Man, being, this guy's CI sucks. Uh, so, from there, uh, we go to, oh, this is where the, uh, next stakeout is. This is, like, not a trailing, but an actual stakeout. He's staking out, uh, now, I know I've skipped something in how he eventually finds this guy, but I guess it's from his CI, and he's basically, uh, observing the Fernando Ray character and one of his other drug-dealing partners, and they're in a French restaurant eating delicious-looking food, while Popeye is eating a crappy piece of pizza out in the freezing cold. yes. That is yeah. correct, and, and you know that's one of those scenes where I talked about. Like uh, the film wants you to understand how miserable it is to be outside on the streets of New York. Uh,
1: yeah, stake out. They're listening to a wire conversation. That's how they figure it out. Oh, right. Because they stake out the other guy, and they I guess they wire the restaurant, deli, whatever where he works.
2: Yeah, that's that's
1: correct. Yeah, and then they tail him. They lose him, and a partner picks him up. Oh my God! I'm sorry. No.
2: That doesn't happen yet. Oh, shit, I skipped. I skipped.
1: Uh, Oh, yeah, that doesn't happen yet. I I think we're...
2: Okay, wait, no, yeah. So, go back. Uh, So, there's also this character named Weinstock, who I think is the drug buyer. He's the one who's going to buy the drugs. Yeah, let's just talk about some of the other characters here. There's yeah, also... l- let's
1: put it this way: this the the plot for this film is is very kind of windy, shifty, blah blah blah, and it doesn't necessarily cohesively go like, oh, that's how they figured out this. That's how it's more of a they're doing police work. This is the style of their police work, and it's like a backdrop of the city and the right the uh, comparison between the French. Uh, Opulent okay, drug so, dealer, and so
2: maybe this will make things easier. Let me just get characters out of the way. In addition to Fernando Ray, who's like your big money man, you've also got you know the guy supplying the drugs. You've got this guy named Weinstock, who's kind of an older, heavy set man, uh, American New Yorker. Uh, he's the one who's going to buy the drugs. Uh, they're using this famous French actor, French TV star, who's going abroad as a cover because no one's going to search the car of a you know celebrity. Uh, so this guy, Henri, I think his name is, is there to bring them cover and to bring the car with him. Uh, we've also got, and then we've got Sal Boca, who's the guy who's helping Fernando Ray make the drug deal. And he's feeling a little jilted, like, hey, I'm, I'm setting this thing up. Like, I, I should get a bigger cut. And I think it might be Weinstock who's like, look, oh, okay, kid, this is your first deal. Like, you know.
1: I'm glad you're doing this because I just have like useless notes in there, like train <laughs> I, auto bank guy loses gun. And I'm boa doing this awfully woman. reductively, but this is the boa and woman of it. leave liquor, <laughs> like <laughs> shit like that written down here.
2: You, you know anything about that? You remember that they leave liquor? They leave the liquor.
1: They here to leave liquor. Maybe they leave the liquor store. Yeah, that's what it is.
2: Okay, uh, and then uh, Fernando Ray, yeah. Uh, also goes to an auto graveyard. <laughs> okay, so now we get to that scene in the French restaurant, and you know Fernando Ray and company enjoying delicious food and the warmth. Papa out freezing his dick off, and then but when uh, Sal and Fernando Ray come out of the restaurant, they trail them, and I think uh, Papa, oh no, uh, Roy Scheider, Roy Scheider takes Sal. And Hackman says, you take Sal, I'll take the beard. We're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. The beard is Fernando Ray, and we get this foot chase where uh, where Popeye follows Fernando Ray down into the subway. He's chasing him. I think they even come up above ground at, at certain points, don't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's basically just... You know, uh, it's right before the scene where he's complaining that he's going to go back and call the deal off because he can't get away from the police. They're just always tailing him. Right. And it's this whole thing where it's just like, I'm going to step out of the thing. I'm going to step into the thing. I'm going to step out of the thing. Ha, I got you. You're still out of it. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Oh, and at this time, uh, another character that's been introduced is they've been stuck with, I think, a, a federal partner. Mm. Yeah, they, they have a guy now who's...
1: Uh, well, the person who's going to buy the stuff is in the government. Right, right,
2: uh, yeah. But they've they've got this, you know, other officer, and they're being forced to essentially have him around, and he's thrown off their their groove, or at least Popeye's groove. I don't think Shider cares because Shider's a normal, well-adjusted person. Yeah, Popeye's Popeye a not. sailor man. Yeah, he's a sailor man. I
1: mean, you skip the part where, like, you know, after the first scene, he, um, the guy comes to get him, and he's handcuffed to the bed because the lady, obviously, like. Had sex with him and then robbed him? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what happened?
2: Can't get any good spinach in the city, here. Not at all. So, not at all. Uh, so, Can't even get olive oil. You have to so get then, it. So then then you get the cool scene. Uh, this, this is a nice scene that I forgot about the first time I watched it, but it's the scene of them testing out the drugs, and they make the guy who does the drug test really comfortable. As, like, the purity level rises, he has a catchphrase for each one. Yeah. Like, good. I forget what the others, but it ends with absolute dynamite.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, he's got different thing. Yeah, that, that, that part's cool. I think it goes up to, boom, um, most coke melts at 98 degrees Celsius or 208 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's how they would test the purity. So they tested this cocaine to 240 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I did write useful notes. So after the subway the thing,
2: where now it's like Fernando Ray realizes that like okay, the fuzz is really coming on to me strong. He goes to Washington D.C. and Sal Boca meets him there, and uh, Boca is kind of freaking out at this point. I think and he's really paranoid about the cops, and Ray is kind of trying to calm him down. And I think Boca says to his assassin. Later he's like uh, Boca is seeing Policeman in his soup
1: Yeah Get the Get the uh, Get the fucking hitman To kill the guy Right Yeah
2: they, Yeah Or the hit I, That's what I'm not clear on Is if like
1: I think they finally just went like Okay fuck it We'll stay But we're gonna have to kill the Or did the hitman go I AWOL I think the
2: hitman wanted to do it So that's what's unclear He's yeah. like Come on let me
0: let I mean me a lot of things him. are
1: unclear It's like you know, with typical film noir detective story stuff like that, doesn't all have to be cohesive and make sense? It's more about the journey of the person through the landscape. Right, and, and it can
2: even be cohesive without like knowing that, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you know that uh, you know that they're getting antsy, and you know that the next thing that happens is the hitman tries to kill Doyle.
2: Yeah, it's if this movie's about anything aesthetically, it's about grime and murk. So,
1: and if it's anything about anything from Doyle's point of view, it's about collateral damage
2: and milkshakes
1: and milkshakes. No, but it's all collateral damage. He's just always, like, smashing people, putting people in phone booths, putting a table there, smashing up drugs, making milkshake, (laughs) fucking driving cars. I've got to punch the people who help me. Yeah, (laughs) He's a a walking mess. I mean. But
2: so, then we get to the assassination and what is, I believe, considered the most famous scene in the movie, uh, the very dangerously staged permitless as rob noted scene.
1: yeah permitless uh, the, um all, they just had a button for the interior shots so they just had like one of those little blue things that they totally used without any legal permission and then the outside things outside shots they just did yeah
2: considered to be the best uh, car chase in history uh you know one along of, with bullet
1: yeah bullet bullet's actually kind of slow now when you watch it i i, I think maybe the car chases in ronin might beat bullet the car chases in Ronin are pretty fucking awesome.
2: I definitely have Bullet as second to French Connection. As great as that scene is, have you seen Ronin? Uh yeah, but it's been car many years. Car chases and
1: Ronin are pretty cool though.
2: Right? Yeah, heck, well, let's throw in the other one. I know that. Uh, I mean, like
1: the cool thing about Bullet br- is McQueen was doing the driving.
2: Yeah, no, but it's it's a really well edited scene too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, what else? You got Born Supremacy, Death Proof. The, we'll do a rank at one of these good. days
1: Yeah, a rank at a best car Ooh, that'd be a good one
2: Yeah Okay, so So, uh I'm not gonna describe the chase Because how do you describe a chase? But it involves Popeye following a subway car That the hitman's on He's driving under the subway tracks Trying to catch him at the right station
1: He hits a lot of cars He almost hits a baby carriage with Yeah With a lady In the meantime I don't know if that was really a lady With a baby carriage Or if they staged that
2: Right <laughs> Or it was filled with cans Like yeah. speed Yeah um, <laughs> it's cans They're just cans, um. And in the meantime, the hitman is hit it man can
1: is, or con. Uh, the festival. <laughs> <laughs> no, the cans and the, okay.
2: <laughs> anyway, um. So yeah, Popeye almost kills a baby, <laughs> and and uh, eventually he, uh, famously, most famous shot in the movie, I would say, since it's shot. The, Film's poster, the film's famous poster, is Popeye shooting the fleeing assassin in the back as he runs up the subway stairs. Yes,
1: and he and he like he falls kind of like after being hurt, falls, leans against the the railing for stability, and just, yeah. just like fuck it, I'm gonna kill this guy. He tried to kill me. Fuck this guy.
2: We're not fucking around here.
1: <laughs> you do a much better, hackman than I do. Well, thank you. We're not fucking around here. True blue, Ethel. Pagoda. He has the cancer.
2: <laughs> um so then I think the next scene of note is the uh they tow the Frenchman's car uh and the French TV star's car and bring it into their place where they search cars for drugs and they don't find much initially, but they tear the whole says, thing
1: apart, can't find anything. It's just like the conversation. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well said well
1: said i've got a box here it says another hackman movie where they tear something apart looking for something that's not found uh but hackman you know he's like that car's dirty cloudy i'll sit here all night if i have to yeah they eventually find it in the runners on and they the eventually side find it in the runners. and it's just kind of like wouldn't that be the first like that was just two screws in a panel like yeah. it seems like the easiest place to search wouldn't it be the first thing you do <laughs> Maybe not in those days and, and the cutting on that is really weird Because then they're sitting there going like Where's the car Where's the... And they're being really destructive When they're tearing it apart But then they're just like oh, The car's right here it's fine And I'm just like wow That guy's pretty good at auto body work And putting it Yeah auto- Interior You know You have liquid leather or... <laughs> <laughs> The first use of liquid leather 1971 The French Connection
2: Wait is liquid leather a thing? No
1: yeah, It was an infomercher infomercher <laughs> infomercial um it's like for repairing leather like you just get the right color and you paint it on the leather oh. and it you know okay. like we gotta do that to the Naga hide couch upstairs which is if anybody's ever had a Naga hide couch um if you actually use it it kind of bursts and then you just have like those yellow plushy things right spewing right. out of the seventies Naga hide
2: oh, okay so then this brings us to basically to the movie the now? final scene basically uh And that's when uh, Fernando Ray and his merry band of French drug dealers uh, and and Sal Boca have the drug deal out in, you know, out in some old dilapidated warehouse across the Brooklyn Bridge, I think. And it all goes well. They exchange and everyone's kind of happy. They're like, congratulations, like, all right, everyone go off your separate ways. But then as Ray is driving back over the bridge, as he crests, he sees Popeye. At the head of the whole force. And Popeye does the famous gesture that Ray did to him. He does a little finger wave. A little, finger, a little wave. finger wave, yes. This is a very French. Little finger the wave. Excellent
1: radio you're doing right now, Brady.
2: I, <laughs> I am doing to you what you did to me, you
1: cunt. You know, it's like as if you're playing a trumpet.
2: Yeah, yeah. It is like that. Spirit fingers.
1: I mean, yeah. And then, then he chases him down. A big shootout ensues, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, where they have the big, you know, the feds are on to him. They have the big raid. They... Catch them all, but then the one thing that happens is Ray, Fernando Ray, runs into uh, the warehouse, I think. Popeye's chasing him, and Popeye ends up accidentally shooting one of the two uh, partners that they were assigned.
1: Police surround them, Doyle goes in, shoots another cop I have.
2: Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's one of the ones that they were forced to have tag along with them. Yeah,
1: and I'm like, at this point, Hackman isn't even trying to arrest
2: no, yeah, and the last shot of the movie before we get titles explaining what happened to everyone is Hackman running around a corner and we just hear a gunshot go off. So the movie ends with Hackman still wildly chasing and shooting for whoever's
1: there. I've also got quite a gin blossom going written down. <laughs> <laughs> Hackman out of breath and just nose is Oh yeah, that's when your nose gets red. Yeah. Yeah. Gin blossom, you know.
2: Brown hey, <laughs> 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 exactly,
1: you beat me to it. Um, yeah, now he's just running around crazy. It crazed. was just
2: a question of which song to. <laughs> I <laughs> won't follow you down. That's probably like only their third most famous song.
1: I guess I've had it on the brain. What else is famous by Jim Blossoms? Well, Hey Jealousy
2: is first, I'd say. I guess,
1: I guess, follow you
2: down. <laughs> and, and then until I hear it from <laughs> hey you. Hey Jealousy
1: to me, sound, yeah, okay. Till I hear it from you. And then there's that one that everybody thought was the Gin Blossoms, which is actually by Duncan Sheik, right?
2: Oh, is that the cause I'm barely breathing?
1: Yeah, barely I can't breathing. Yeah.
2: Find it
1: um
2: Yeah, okay, so that's the full <laughs> synopsis.
1: <laughs> yeah. D- do they play saxophone at the end?
2: Um I think they do, and you find out a lot of the people who got arrested
1: got off with pretty light sentences. Another another similarity to the conversation
2: yeah and a similarity to uh, a fine movie if you haven't seen it uh, Z yeah
1: well speaking of which we've mentioned at least two movies that we've done in this conversation we mentioned Mistress America which is in the feed and so is the conversation so check out our podcast on those also if uh, somebody doesn't really want to watch all of the French Connection they can just listen to this half hour synopsis
2: yeah no fuck the movie just this is the ideal way to experience it It,
1: yeah yeah
2: Cause fuck that movie. Be-
1: <laughs> no, 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 don't no, fuck that movie. It's <laughs> yeah, a fine movie. It's just the uh, DVD holes aren't big enough. I mean, I don't know about you, but <laughs> well, I mean, results may vary. Well, mine's all digital, so you know.
2: <laughs> your what?
1: <laughs> the file that we watch the movie with. Where's your brain? <laughs> uh, where is your mind? Hey, 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 how do we like it? Uh, how do you like it, Brady?
2: Um, You know what? I think this is a great movie. The first time I saw it, I think I gave it an A-. Uh, and the reason for that is, like, in a way, it is kind of a movie about just, like, the texture and the feeling and kind of how exciting it is. As if those were, like, low things that aren't worth anything. Yeah. Uh, but, like, you know, thematically, I was like... Like, what do I, what am I to make of it thematically? And uh, seeing it this second time, uh, I think there is plenty of theme. It just kind of, it foregrounds all of its, like, visceral sensory pleasures and lets that stuff, which is really smartly and subtly written, kind of just happen in the background. So, yeah, it, it gave me a lot to return to, and it's just, like, it's really fun to watch, which is interesting because it's a dark movie. But it's, like, you know, it, it reminds me of The Wire in that way. It's, like... For dark viewing, this is also, like, oh, contagiously God. watchable.
1: When I first watched the first season of The Wire, I was, like, in one of the most depressing points in my life where I was just, like, essentially homeless, and I was just crashing on couches Ugh. and this and that, and I was just watching The Wire all day, like, binge-watching The Wire, and it was just, like, <laughs> this is so dismal and dark, and Ant's just gotten to my fucking hard drive on which The Wire is. Hopefully it doesn't break while I'm watching The Wire. And I wish these ants would get the fuck out of my hard drive.
2: <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I, I imagined you saying that in a Hannibal Burris voice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish these ants would get the fuck out of my hard drive, because hard drives aren't supposed to have ants in them, because they're electronic, and that could short it out. <laughs> like a shorty.
0: Uh,
2: so, so yeah, yeah, that's that's one of my shorter... How did you like it? It's, but I really like it. I give it an A. Yeah,
1: I think I'm on an A now, too. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. We tried to watch it the second time. I'm like, oh, we'll just skip through it real quick, and then we'll do the thing. And I think we just ended up watching it.
2: Like, <laughs> oh, man, you can't just skip this scene entirely. We'll skip one of the next ones. Oh, this scene's really fun to watch, too. Shit. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was, it was good. It's a good movie, man. It's a fucking A. It's an A.
2: Yeah, man. It's a, some of that good old-fashioned, gritty, 70s gritty, but, like, fucking energetic
1: and also like you could tell it was put together on a pretty low budget and it's just like i mean like i mean i'm sure it was a few million but you you know
2: (laughs) permits were not evidently part of the
1: budget yes okay so i just gotta get a few million and then i can make a movie like this it's gonna be great yeah it's gonna be great i bet you they didn't use sag actors either
2: uh, yeah, and and they didn't have to pay for New York to look like shit because it, it really did during. It those did days. at that point in time.
1: I, did they actually go to France to shoot the French stuff? I think so. Or it, did it's they just go to French town? To yeah, I
2: guess. Uh, so. It's like one of those places, places.
1: When oh, we'll do that last, and any money we have left over, we'll just, you know, they got blow in France. That's what this movie's about. Blow, blow, blow's a good movie.
2: Yeah, but it was a good movie.
1: We haven't done a podcast on that though, so I shouldn't have mentioned it. It's not in our feed, folks. Not in our feed. Um, yeah, I, I'm just going to say a yes as well. Okay. And you have a good "What's It All About"? A a. And we've pretty much already said my "What's It All About," but I'll, I'll look through my notes here. I got more notes.
2: It's the rare case of a an Alcoholics Anonymous film for Rob and I.
1: Actually, well, we're 40 minutes in. Do you want to split and go do uh, understudy?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then we'll come time. back
1: and do the, the What's It All About.
0: We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay but we've got two understudies and to be honest they're probably more famous anyway so try to guess the actors try to guess the movies tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y couch this game called understudy is happening, happening, happening right now what are you doing here?
3: I need a favor I want to spend some time with you and uh, the children. Are you crazy? Now no, hold on, Ethel. Uh, hold on, damn it! Stop following me. I want my family back. I want my...
0: Well... Well, you can't have it. I'm sorry for you, but it's...
3: It's too late. I'm dying, baby. Yeah. I'm sick as a dog. I'll be dead in... Six weeks. I'm dying. What are you talking about?
0: What, what happened? Oh my... My God. I'm... I'm sorry. I... I didn't know. what they say? What's the... The prognosis? I'll take it easy, Ethel. Hold on, hold on.
3: Oh, wait, that's my line. I'll, yeah, no, hold on, hold on. What's the doctor? Let's... let's get... No, no, wait a second. Listen, I'm not dying. Not, but I need you... I need some time. A month, maybe two. I I want us to... What's wrong with you? Ethel. Go away. Uh, Baby, I am dying.
0: Are you or aren't you? Dying? Yes. That was understudy. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch.
1: Hey, everybody. That was a fun round of understudy. God knows how did we pick that movie.
2: It's pretty tenuous connection.
1: Well, as the theme song says, which maybe you can't understand because you can't stand listening to Attitude Singing, um, if you tweet us at Carney Couch um, what characters we're portraying and what movie the scene is from and you get it right, then you'll be entered in a drawing of all the people who got it right and we'll do a movie you tell us to. Exactamundo. Exactamundo. Anyway, Brady, what's it all
2: about? What's it all about? What's it all about? I'm just going to read this right off my paper.
0: What's it all about?
2: I use notes sometimes. Deal with it. It's about the death of the 1960s. It's about the post-1960s shift in morals, the decline of 1960s idealism. Uh, obviously, you know, as we're moving into the 1970s, in a very upfront way, it's about the explosion of the problems with drugs that we had then, you know, drug cartels becoming, basically, and that is kind of a very 1960s, moving into the 70s problem, where in the 60s, drugs were this these things that you could escape with, and people were kind of very happy. In the 70s, you get this different picture, you know, the kind of picture you saw in Ridley Scott's American Gangster with Denzel Washington, where, you know, all of a sudden drugs are causing, not that they didn't before, but really causing a lot of societal problems, especially in the epicenter of 1970s New York, which was just one of the most squalid places you could hope to find. So, yeah, it's about that uh, in a very tactile way. Uh, And uh, to put it this way, just a year or so prior to the events of this film, which take place in 1970, very notably, the very moment that we come to the 70s is when this film takes place. Uh, Just a year before that, the U.S. had put people on the moon And so funny enough, you get these African-American women in a ritzy club singing everybody's going to the moon. And so I think a lot of what the film's about is kind of contained in that moment because we see that uh, black people in this film are treated like shit. They're roughed up. Uh, They're, you know, drugs are infiltrating society and they're getting arrested as a result of it. Uh, So And you have these women singing about this dream of expansion, which was about something that happened a year ago, and kind of, you know, this idea like, oh, everybody's going to the moon, the future looks so bright, uh, but it's found in this movie where nothing looks bright at all. And, you know, in that way, it's also about, you know, also not so long ago, I think in 68, the final piece of the Civil Rights Act had been passed, too, uh, guaranteeing fair housing for black people, which... We don't see a lot of that in this movie. We don't, so it's about the promise, and it's about the kind of failure of that promise, which we don't see a lot of in the New York that The French Connection presents to us. So it's, you know, it's about how high we've dreamed and how far uh, we've fallen from that dream. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's, a, it's about that fall from grace.
1: Yeah, I probably should have gone first because I'm not going to be nearly as articulate as Brady while I echo him. But, uh, you know, this film is, like I said, more about the mood of the city and the cops, the foot soldiers on the ground, uh, than it is about the actual investigation. Uh, the 70s are a very grimy place. There's, like I said, there's that fire randomly burning in the opening scenes. Um, the the cars um, are interesting. It's really interesting to look at the cars and compare them to Nowadays, because you know, cars now are like you know these little sealed ecosystem bubbles. But when you see them doing stakeouts in cold New York, like lying there in the car with the window open, smoking cigarettes, and like just eating bullshit food that they got from a street vendor at like four o'clock, you know these cars aren't really sealed bubbles like that. They, um, um, there is the thing where like cops can just rough up people with uh, impunity. It's a little before uh, the litigious society that we have now. Um, I do know the cops probably don't get uh, prosecuted nearly as much as they should nowadays, but like back then, like the way this is portrayed, obviously just not at all. Just like you come in, destroy property. Like I said, the Gene Hackman character is basically a walking tornado. Collateral damage is his middle name. It's just like, I'm just going to come here and start smashing shit, breaking glasses, blah, 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 roughing people up. You You know, it doesn't fucking matter. Um, but there is a little bit of the inkling of, of what's to come after the 70s start. There's the, they need the court order for the wiretap. Um, let me see. They, uh, they can threaten people in professional relationships. That was another thing. Uh, they identified some officials. They got a bust, uh, so the DA gets them a wiretap. Oh, I'm back on the plot continued. Oops, I'm just reading too much now. Uh, another bit on notes in the 70s is the whole thing with, um, you know, this is pre-cell phone this is uh, pre-internet it's pre-all this stuff put together so all these chase scenes are really interesting like you know you they got to go to a payphone and call into the station To be like where's the Sarge you know And then they got to go meet him like at the scene of an accident uh, And that's a really interesting Ooh. Scene we have to talk about that That's a cool. Um, scene. So we will get into that in a second um, The trains are run by People so there's no automated shutoffs As soon as it's the uh, the guy is able to get In there and just kind of go <laughs> You know it's just like okay the train's just now out of control And, and going crazy um, Well that's more plot there That's more plot continued I mean, I have notes from both times, so I you know, I didn't really get a chance to review all of them because there's a bunch of other stuff written in between here. But, um, yeah, let's talk about that scene. Um, oh, I, I mean, to summarize what I was saying, what it's all about, it's, it's about uh, police work in the 70s. It's about the environment, and it's kind of about how the uh, authority structure, while they're trying to do good and they're trying to stamp down crime, um, they kind of... You know, especially as the Hackman character kinda of descends into this uh mawing environment that's so pestilent, I guess. Right. Um You're Pestilential. Yes, pestilent Okay. Thank you, uh Spelling Bee Champion for the uh the uh corrective uh notion of your uh language. Um <laughs> But yeah, the Pestilential Society is, is basically pulling this character in until he's totally just destroyed by it as well. Um, despite the fact that him as a criminal, him as a cop, is probably worse off in his relationship to the world than the criminals who get to live in opulent wealth and right prosperity,
2: as, as noted in that scene of the, the sheltered yeah. French food-eating criminals while he freezes outside. Yeah, even though the only thing I'm unclear on is, you know, I the only thing I would say is Popeye, as we see him, I think has long since been corrupted, but I think. I think he is getting worse, which is kind of what makes. Oh yeah! That... By
1: the end, he's just running around shooting yeah. randomly. Like. That,
2: that's what makes that uh, last image like such a cool one and such a resonant one. Is this is he's the beast? He's the beast we've unleashed of because like that's a very good rub. Because if you know, I made a lot about this being about kind of the decline and hopefulness, but the other thing it's very much about is the way police culture has evolved. Uh, and,
1: you know, well, just, watching it retroactively now, I mean, back right. then it was about the way the police culture was.
2: Well, yeah, which I guess would make it a very prescient movie that it knew kind of like, OK, things are never going to be the same here. Like we've we've got a trend. this a cart starting to roll downhill here. And, uh, you know, I think that last image predicts like it's just going to get crazier and crazier.
1: Yeah. Uh, so what I can't quite remember the specifics of that car crash scene, but remember, they have to go out and see the Sarge. Yeah, and there are a
2: bunch of dead people, uh, like well, bloody. It's, very... like a,
1: it's a dead couple in a car crash, right? Yeah,
2: it's a very bloody car crash.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't know. Um, something about, well, like if it's a decline or it's getting worse, I mean, there's also the whole thing, you know, if we look historically, that's around the time that, you know, Nader was doing his work and, and saying like, hey, look, you got to have seatbelts and cars. Uh, the 70s was around the time, like probably the, I'm not entirely certain on this but i'm pretty sure the alcohol percentage that you could drive with was about 0.18 or 0.15 something around there where now it's (laughs) 0.08 i mean 0.18 is pretty fucking drunk unless like you know you're just that way all the time (laughs) um (laughs) like i mean like there wasn't even a they weren't going like yeah these guys were drunk when they crashed You know, uh, they were just going like, another car crash. Yep, happens all the time. These big metal boxes, people driving around, not wearing seatbelts, just partying it up.
3: They die. Red asphalt. They die. They die.
2: Uh, (laughs) Well, And that's the thing is... um, We're such happy people. (laughs) The first time I watched this was for my project. Then I watched it a second time with you. And as of... That second time, I still hadn't seen. Well, we watched
1: it twice together, basically. Yeah, exactly. So the this so you've third seen it like three time, times.
2: seeing it this third time would be the simplest way to say it. Uh, I had the virtue of uh, having finally seen one of this year's best movies, OJ Made in America, and you know, this is making me sound kind of dumb because I know that police brutality has been a problem uh, for a long time and it is really thankfully getting a lot of exposure now you know yeah we
1: see it a lot more now.
2: obviously I know about you know the the Rodney King issue and stuff like that but uh, seeing OJ made in America did make me realize in the early 80s just how militaristic you know that's in Los Angeles not New York but how militaristic police forces were becoming and you know being given new technologies to basically act like armies which is a problem I think we're seeing now. Right.
1: Too. And like even when Obama was president, sorry to get political again, but we were worried about that then. And now we have Trump as president and a like a fucking uh, bunch of federal police, basically the Department of Homeland Security. And the idea that they have access to all that militarizedness and that that's just been escalating since the 70s and 80s, more and more and more and more. I mean, they don't have six guns now. They've got fucking machine guns and riot gear. Right. And they look fucking terrifying.
2: Or to uh, to phrase the point with a more populist movie, perhaps, uh, and a very good movie as well not not like a, an amazing movie, but a solid one. Uh, Straight out of Compton, first seen out of, in Straight Out of Compton, we see Easy E in a house, and an L.A. Police Department tank with a battering ram drives yeah. through it. That's only fifteen yeah, years it, after the and it, like. and
1: it literally rips the house apart. Yeah, really? like <laughs> yeah. it like it doesn't just knock down the door. It goes through the house and then they back up kind of sloppily and it just kind of tears <laughs> down the painted stucco walls and chicken wire comes out everywhere. And, it's, and yeah. it turns
2: out to be uh, a transformer that is Gene Hackman in French Connection. When when we see him run off, he eventually evolves into a tank is what I'm saying.
1: Gene Hackman, robot in the skies. is are smoking
2: pot in here, you hear It's a goddamn shame. I I hate Los Angeles.
1: Well, shit. Is there anything we can do about it? No, we can make this podcast, though, and, like, fucking joke around about it and maybe try to liven people's mood a little bit and shit. Singing
2: our chains like the sea, Rob. Like the sea.
1: Oh, with that, why don't we go and do, uh, what's that game called?
0: Metacritical. Metacritical. Yeah, let's do that. Metacritical. Rob's never gonna win. Metacritical. Brady's the victor again. So it's time to play. I'm gonna lose today. Metacritical. Yeah, it's time. Time to play.
1: Hey, everybody, everybody. Welcome to Metacritical, the game where we try to guess the Metacritic score, and then you play it like golf. However many points you're off, that's how many points you get, and you want a lower score than the other person. Uh, Brady,
2: uh, okay. how are we going to
1: pick these films? Uh we going Hackman? Are we going Friedkin? We go, I,
2: I can't really think of a Roy Scheider movie that would appear.
1: Yeah, it's going to be hard to do Friedkin or Hackman movies because they're going to be older movies, and their classics will, of course, be on Metacritic, but... I mean,
2: maybe all that jazz could be in there. I don't know.
1: Well, how are we going to do it?
2: All right. Let's try all that jazz. William not... Friedkin
1: did direct this movie, right? I haven't been saying that the entire time. No, you're right. Yeah, Friedkin. Okay. Roy Schneider Schneider's just and... in it.
2: Roy Schneider from Jaws.
1: Gene Hackman from The Life of Gene Hackman.
2: I'm going to say all that jazz. no way this is going to work, but it is a classic movie, so maybe. Ah, I think they have. If I've I've noticed that they might have more old classics in there now. They're kind of going back and trying to add them if they can.
0: Well, I
1: typed in Metacritical into Google instead of Metacritic, so it came up with uh, some Wikipedia articles on Metacritical analysis. So it's just going to take me a second before. Okay. Uh. So what do you think this one got, Brady?
2: This one, I think, scorekeeper got I'm going to say an 85. Uh, Do you want to know what it's about?
1: No, I know what it's about. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah, I know this movie very well. Do you? Yeah, uh, go ahead and start keeping score, though. I'm going to go ahead and say they didn't like it that much. Um, Let's just go ahead and say 80.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a good movie. Sorry, they changed
1: their site. This is way harder than it was.
2: Well, uh, find the little magnifying glass.
1: I found it. Nope, didn't come up. Ah, uh, go figure. It's not Okay. My,
2: um, Enemy of the State, then. Ooh, Enemy of the State?
0: With Gene Hackman.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. That, that's almost like a, a sequel to uh, The Conversation. Yeah. Kind of.
0: Harry Call, who had a hairy back? All the money's gone, nowhere to go. Uh mini driver got in the sack with Eric <laughs> sorry, sorry
1: Um Um I think that it's pro it's, what's that? Ridley Scott? Tony, Tony Scott. Scott Tony Scott Uh Tony Scott, Will Smith, Gene Hackman, Jack S- Black Jack Seth Black Green, Seth John
2: Voight, Jason King. Lee King
1: Jason Lee. I don't remember. He's at the Jason beginning Lee. he says
2: fuck a duck
1: when he sees the guy get killed and he's got the video that they're all hounding over.
2: Uh, fuck a duck makes me think of uh, Eli Roth and Inglorious Bastards. Oh, shit.
1: Why do I just get extra points if you don't believe me? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no.
1: Okay. I'm gonna... Um, this is a pretty good movie. I mean, it's not gonna be in the 90s or anything. The question is, is it in the high 70s or the low 80s? I'm gonna go 82.
2: Okay. I actually... Like Enemy of the State 2,
1: but I think... They made a sequel? (laughs)
2: No. I think it got like a 65. Oh, shit.
1: So you actually have some foreknowledge of what the score might be. 67. No, but I...
2: I have a, uh, Tony Scott movies never get, like, super duper great. That's
1: true. Domino's got to be in the 30s.
2: Ed.
3: Domino Avi. I'm Domino Avi.
1: Well, let's just follow that tangent. <laughs> Go to Domino. What do you think Domino got? Um, like. It's got to be, like, 2005 48. or something like that.
2: Wait, what did you say in the last one?
1: I said 82. 82. So I was off by 15. You were off by two. Um, Domino, what do you think?
2: Like uh, 48.
1: I'm going to go like 37. Okay.
2: 36. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay, wait. So I said
1: 48. Yeah, I'm off 5-1. So now I'm at 16 and you're at... 14. Yeah. Getting oh, close. Shit. Getting close. All right, uh, you pick one. Uh, uh, Kieran Knightley can go this way. Tony Scott still, of course, a chainer.
2: Who else is in that movie?
1: <laughs> I don't know, Keira Knightley. I mean she was hot, man. Dominoes. But, but they cut a lot and they just kept tilting the camera and like doing all these color filters and I was like, what the fuck is going on? At least give me a nice slow shot of Keira Knightley.
2: <laughs> she just so she throws dominoes at people? Is that what the movie's about? No,
1: she's a bounty hunter. She's Ye- got guns. Okay. And like her hair's all short. Domino. We did that one. Now you got to pick a movie. Harvey Weinstein. I don't think it's a Weinstein production.
2: No. <laughs> but Harvey Weinstein is a great Oscar promoter. One of the movies he promoted was
1: uh, How does this relate to Domino? Aren't we chaining off the previous movie?
2: Yeah, I guess so.
1: Okay, fine. Uh, bend it like Beckham? There you go. That's what I figured you'd say. That's, that's a uh, oh, oh 02,
2: 03? Oh yeah. Um, it was I, the first I saw
1: I her. think it was very much beloved. i can go with 82.
2: I think it was beloved, too, even though I don't know if,
1: like... The critics thought so?
2: No, no, the critics really liked it, but I don't... It might have been one of those, like, collective B-plus-gasm kind of things. Uh, so I'm going to say, like, a 77. All right. It's like where everyone's like, no one thinks it's a masterpiece, but everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Bend It Like Beckham? Yeah, it's a fun move. Oh, good. You remembered to talk
1: while I was typing. Uh, 66. Oh, jeez. Really? Yeah. It's, it's still green, but fuck, that just slapped me for... What did you say? 82. <laughs> bah. I was going to okay. catch up again.
2: So you lost five points that time. And
1: I was already short a but few. But there are
2: two rounds left.
1: Yeah, it's true. But it's only t- a few. It's my turn to pick one. Let's go with the first, Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. Do you happen to know that one off the top of your head?
2: No. <sighs>
1: good. No. It was good. It was a good movie, and I think the critics liked it, too.
2: It's a good movie, and I've uh, since given up on... Well, I haven't given up, but I, I've made peace with my major issue with it.
1: What, that Johnny Depp keeps jacking off the steering wheel too often? too much. He's no, always grabbing it. That
2: fight where neither of them can die, why are they fighting so urgently if I, neither Yeah, of them I didn't can quite die? get
1: that either. I was confused. Um, uh, I don't know. Because it's fun.
2: There you go, you
1: stupid... <laughs> you scurvy dog.
2: <laughs> I'm talking to myself. You fun-hating <laughs> asshole. Maybe they enjoy fighting because they're well, you pirates. you got
1: first on this one, right?
2: Uh, yeah. I picked it. Let me go like a, let me go like a seventy-three.
1: Okay, I just have to get closer than you. Uh, Seventy-eight. Okay, all right. Did you misspell Caribbean?
2: It is a tricky word.
1: I think I did. How do you spell
0: it?
2: Uh, I believe it's C-A-R-I-B-B-E-A-N.
1: I did two Rs instead of two Bs. Okay, there it is. And this is the Black Pearl, by the way. Sixty-three. I thought they liked it more than that. I think they just like Johnny Depp
2: more than that. Yeah, hey, what'd you say? I said a 73.
1: Yeah. And I right? said 82. Or no, I said 78. Yeah. I don't know. We're recording. We could always check.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, you, you did say 78. Fuck. God damn it. Which I was thinking it would work. I, I was like, oh, it's going to be 75. Just watch.
1: I thought it was just going to be like a low 80s. And then I would be like, yes, gain some points. Um, Okay. It's Hail Mary time then. Yeah, pick a pick a one that could be very high or very low.
2: Uh let's go. Fear and loathing. Let's go. Let's go today. With uh, is
3: that um <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> yeah um that movie that bird... <laughs> I'm sorry. This is awful dead time. Uh, let's go with you know Orlando Bloom.
1: Okay. What else has he done? It's the worst choice. Twenty we more could minutes. Have made.
2: Let's go with Orlando Bloom in Kingdom of Heaven.
1: Okay, sixty-six. You dick. Sixty. Okay. Damn, too far apart from each other. Or I mean, too close to each other for me to even win. Kingdom of heaven. Yeah, it's Scott. It's a Scott brother. So... 63. Closure. So we tie it on that. Fuck. All right, Brady, what's the tally? What's the damage here? I got something like 49. Uh-huh. N- no, you mm-hmm. got a 47. That's pretty close on my yeah, quick estimation edition. Yeah, and you got fucking 20. I got
0: 35. Okay. A Metacritical! I won
1: again. Fuck you. Hi. That was a fun (laughs) (laughs) ride. That was great. That was
2: great. So, I wanted to. This is extremely anecdotal, but I like it when. I'm so obsessed with movies that I like when art that I love can be connected to other art. Uh, so I mentioned that song, which I think is a really resonant song to use
1: in the movie. Uh, we're all going to the moon. Everybody's going to the moon. Everybody's going to the moon.
2: And it reminds me thematically... I mean, it's the same
1: thing as we're all going to the moon. Come on, Brady. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just not called
0: that.
2: But, um, you know, and that song, it placed in the context it is, and it being kind of this Supremes-esque song, I think is very much about the... Sort of this idea of like, okay, great, society's, you know, it's achieving new milestones technologically. We're in space now. Like, that's all great. But if you're a black person living in a society that oppresses you, like, what good does that do me? How great we're on the moon, but how how much good is that to me if I can't even get fair housing, if the police are, you know, killing uh, Well You go to the moon. You can go to the moon. (laughs) You oh, should God. go
1: live on the moon and but, be like, like, look, look, back to the moon instead of back to Africa moon. <laughs> oh, God.
2: But all, all of that to say, uh, it reminds me of a song that makes a similar point using the moon, uh, though, obviously. That, that is a
1: historical reference. Marcus Garvey, uh, yeah. by the way, I'm going to make myself seem a little more educated. No, yeah, do do what you need to <laughs> I did.
2: contextualize. I did. Uh, so a song that reminds me of that, though uh, placed in a white context, I would say, is a song by the Drive-By Truckers, who are a fine, fine, fine southern rock band. Uh, Yeah,
1: Jason Isbell is the uh, lead guitarist for that, and he's very good.
2: Yeah, uh, even though I think he's left now, but he he is, to do his solo career. Yeah. But uh, there's a song by them called Putting People on the Moon, and it's got kind of a similar thing. I think it's about, supposed to be about people... Is it a
1: Marcus Garvey sort of thing?
2: (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, but I think it's like in Tennessee, like Huntsville, Tennessee. Is that where a lot of the NASA stuff happened, rocket testing?
1: Yeah, something like that. Sure. Who's going to fact <laughs> you check NASA me? Say NASA or NASA? NASA. NASA.
2: <laughs> but but the song's about you know these people living in this poor town close to where the rocket testing is happening, and, and in that song, a lot of them you know end up getting cancer because of the rocket testing. But its message is still the same. And it's kind of the chorus is saying, like, putting people on the moon. Like, that's great. All these, like, hoity-toity sons of bitches, they're going to the moon. What goes that to me? I can barely afford my bills, and I got cancer. Like, great, you're going to the moon.
1: Although I don't really understand how the rockets would give people cancer.
2: Apparently they did. Or or the song's a total fake.
1: (laughs) I mean, maybe the song is just drawing a parable between, you know, how technology expanding and so forth and so on has its own risks and problems. And that really only the rich prosper from it.
2: And I find that to be the richer comment uh, more than the the fact that not only are these poor people not going to the moon, but others going to the moon happen to give them diseases. Uh,
1: I mean, the uh, nuclear waste would be a, a more true parable, I think. I mean, I don't I don't know that rockets didn't give people. I just my knowledge of explosions. <laughs>
2: We'll look this up. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, Well, we did Metacritical, and we did, uh, uh, what's it all? We did all the segments. (laughs) We did it all. And uh, we're rolling pretty good on time here, so should we figure out what we're doing next week?
2: Uh, Was there anything else we wanted to talk about scene-wise? I
1: don't know. Anything else you want to talk about scene-wise?
2: I mean, I guess we kind of talked about
1: what we liked as we did it. We did. A little bit. We did.
2: A little bit. Talk for like 10 seconds, and let me just... Okay, folks, so,
1: I mean, it's been a long time since we've done a podcast. We're going to try and do these more often, all right? So we do need your help. I mean, like, look, I took 2016 off, basically. I stopped doing a bunch of shit. And now I'm just going to kill myself again by doing a bunch of shit. Like, not literally kill myself. I just mean, like, do far too much stuff and be totally overwhelmed. I'm going to do that again, so you'll see a lot more content coming from me rob on carnivorestudios.com um and you'll hear a lot more of me going come on brady we gotta do the shit no i I know you're tired i'm tired too let's go
2: no yeah we're we're just gonna do it
1: we gotta keep on yeah we gotta keep on keeping on we gotta fucking keep calm and make art we're film commentary you got a scene you want to talk about so you're flipping uh, pages there no you're through. right
2: I think we uh, I'll just say which I guess I already kind of said but the thing that I really like about this movie is just like it's well crafted uh, but it's not just craft I think there's like a really nice script uh, it, it, if anything it's even just the small things of I uh, you know this isn't like super ornate flowery writing but it's smart uh often funny in a black way and each of these people, like even all the criminals, have enough character that, like, it snaps. It's never just like telling a perfunctory story. Even like I was saying, like that character who appears for two minutes to test out the heroin yeah. is so
1: memorable. Oh, I mean, it's just, um, it's it's really a testament to the way that William Friedkin made films, uh, which is interesting. And it doesn't always work out. Like you see something like Cruising, and you go like, oh, that's when it doesn't work. Is that the one with the turkeys? no it's the one with the gay serial killer and then the guy's investigating him and he starts going to all these bdsm gay clubs and then he catches gay and uh at a certain point like a big black guy in jimmy jammies and a cowboy hat comes in and smacks the shit out of him and then walks out and he's just like who the fuck was that guy and like there's no real explanation there it's just and he throws his hat out the window when he sees him again um yeah, that was an example of William Friedkin's filmmaking. But what what he did was they'd have the script and it really wouldn't have too much camera direction or this things in it. And then he'd have whoever's on set, be it the sound guy, the cinematographer, him, the actors, and everybody would just talk it over. How are we going to do this scene? You know your lines, you know your lines, cool. And whoever had the best idea, that's what they do. They just went like, oh, uh, what if we came in from the floor here and then panned up to hear you he delivered this line. And then he'd just get the shots and then that was it. Like, they didn't put a lot of effort into ahead of the time. It was in the moment filmmaking with whoever had the best idea in the room.
2: I mean that can work.
1: I mean yeah, obviously this is an excellent um you know, show of of it working. Like <laughs>
2: I guess so, even though I don't know how meticulous they were with this one. But I, I guess you're saying maybe they took like, the same Like, this was
1: Friedkin's run-and-gun approach. I mean, and you can tell, like, that opening scene where the guy gets shot. It's just like, okay, we come into here, we follow him, and then we just cut to this and cut to this guy, cut to this guy. He got the shots, he got the shots, and he said, okay, sometime later we're going to need to get an insert of this blood bat exploding in the guy's face. We'll just snip that in there and it'll look great. You know, boom, done, right. scene's done, okay, let's move on. And, like, that's how he got things done so efficiently and and so well.
2: Well, cool, cool.
1: And then Peter Bogdanovich, who you mentioned as well, had a, a similar style where it was it, it, for him it was just problem solving on the on the fly. Well, we don't have to talk. About it, we'll we'll watch a Bogdanovich movie and I'll go into that. Okay. So I've heard of interviews with these people and it's interesting. Although if you listen to podcasts enough, that you actually listen to ours, perhaps you've heard the same interviews I have and stuff. Uh, what's what's next week, dude? Next week if it does indeed come out a week after this one.
2: Next week, um, you know what? It's uh, It's been moving up my list, and I've only seen it once, but I, I think I need to see this movie to decide how much I like it because I think I just moved it to an A. Spoiler for next week, I guess.
1: Oh, by the way, you can suggest a film on our website, and there are none suggested at the moment. We've gone yeah. through them all.
2: Yeah, you could do that. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna suggest Paper Moon by Peter Bogdanovich. Ah,
1: right? and then I could talk about Bogdanovich. Yeah, uh, there were a couple that Tess suggested. What? What did she suggest? Last night we were talking. We were all talking. She's like, "Ooh, I'd like to do Bebe's Kids." <laughs> yes, yeah, she did. And there say was that. something else that she wanted to do for the thing. But uh, I think I'm gonna go with you on this, Peter Bogdanovich, Paper Moon. Paper Moon. We don't even need to do like draws, straws, or even or uh, or fucking whatever the <laughs> hell system we normally do.
2: He, he inspired my uh, the name of my dormant Dungeons and Dragons character. The, char- the lead character in this in that movie.
1: Ah, well, what was the name of your d d character?
2: Moe's Caster Barge, but it's just the Moe's part. Because the, the Caster Barge comes from Cassidy, because I wanted him to be a mix of Moe's from Paper Moon and Are you gonna make this, Butch Cassidy. Are you
1: going to make this commentary payoff as a good ending joke? Uh no. it's not a joke, no, man. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's Paul Newman as yeah. a hustler,
1: but I'll No, I know that, but we're about to sign off here. You're gonna go on to your D and D character, you gotta make it entertaining. Oh
2: dude.
1: Sure. Yeah, Jesus. Putting me on what the, the
0: spot. fuck spot. Jeez, I mean this might do <laughs> carnivorous couch it happens once a week it swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep it forces us to watch a film about which we then speak carnivorous couch with brady and rob
1: your mustache mustache right a brady's mustache